0: Welcome to the Druid's Grove, where we discuss all things related to Druids, their history, current day practices, and how to build a deeper connection and relationship with the Earth. I'm so glad you're here. If you find what I have to share helpful, please subscribe and share with others that may enjoy it, and check the show notes for more information. Come on in, relax for a bit, and I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Druid's Grove. Today we are going to be talking about stone circles, mounds, wells, and other sacred spaces in Druidry. So there are over 1,300 stone circles in the United Kingdom. Uh, Scotland actually has the most with uh, five, around 508 or more or less uh, different stone circles. There are 316 in England, 187 in Ireland, 156 in Northern Ireland, 81 in Wales, 49 in Brittany, and 6 in the Channel Isles. And I just did a Google search for, you know, how many stone circles there were in the UK, and that's what I came up with, and I had no idea about that. I think that's pretty amazing. Um, and also, just doing a Google search, uh, there are over 50 recognized stone circles in the United States. However, in the U.S., many of them are on private land, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Um, so you would have to get the, the landowner's permission to go on to them. Um, it it can kind of be assumed that the reason for most of the stone circles in the world, existing in the U- UK specifically, is due to their impor- importance in historic spiritual practices, um, especially predating the Druids. You know, we know the Druids were only around um, for kind of a short time, and of course human civilization has been around a lot longer than that. Um, So it's probably safe to say that a lot of these stone circles were used by people before the druids, but they were kind of incorporated for various reasons uh, with the druids specifically. So if we look at stone circles in general, probably the most well-known stone circle in the world is Stonehenge. And of course, if you've never heard of it, get on uh, the internet and search it out. It's called Stonehenge. Uh, It is still used as a gathering place for druids, on different holidays throughout the wheel of the year and mostly on the equinoxes and the solstices though and the importance of Stonehenge and other stone circles has to do with the way the stones align um, their alignment on these days so Stonehenge aligns with the sunrise on the summer solstice and the sunset at the winter solstice and in druidry, these are times of kind of celebration. We're we're celebrating the longest day of the year, in the summer, and then in the winter we're celebrating the shortest day of the year. And kind of uh, the reason we celebrate it in 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 winter is because we're we're celebrating this transition back towards longer days. So, you know, the the sunset sunrise on winter is about light coming back to the earth. And it's said that you know <clears throat> because these stones align with the, the solar or sun positions, um, but the best way to kind of picture it is if you, in your mind, just kind of envision a circle of very tall stones with m- multiple stones kind of forming a sort of window through which the, the rising or the setting sun will line up perfectly when you're standing at a specific position, and it will only do it perfectly on the specific days of the year. So at, at stone, Stonehenge and, and many other stone circles, there's also um, kind of a, a burial, even along other burial mounds too that we're going to talk about. There's usually like a large circular um, ditch or kind of hill or mound, like a raised bank surrounding these areas. And Stonehenge has been dated back to around 3100 BC. So that's kind of what I was talking about earlier where these these places, a lot of them, were used before uh, the Druids even came to an, in existence. And the next most recognized stone circle is called Ave, Avebury, or Avebury. And I want to go ahead and apologize for all my UK friends out there. Um, I'm just looking stuff up and trying to give out some information, so if I get things wrong, I'm very sorry. If I mis- mispronounce things or don't cover things that... You feel should be covered i apologize this is just kind of introductory just to kind of share some information that people may not have been aware of so avebury um is is in the village of avebury in southwest england it's the actually the largest stone circle in europe from what i found it was constructed around 2600 bc uh during the what was called the neolithic or stone i'm sorry stone age period the new stone age period and it is a part of a group of older, uh, larger and older monuments in that area. And if, if you're interested in it, look it up. Look up uh, Avebury. Um, it's, it's a really interesting design when you look at pictures of it. It's really cool. And the surroundings are really pretty. There's kind of mountains and it surrounds like a village and it's, it's really interesting to see. And there's a large bank, like a raised bank area with a ditch surrounding it as well. And it's it's really massive. The large the large outer ring of it is has a diameter of 1,088 feet. So if you think about that, um, like a football field is about it's 100 yards, about 300 feet. So it's like three football fields across. It's pretty big, and this is why it's the largest stone circle in Europe. There are also many mounds or burial mounds or. Um, they have different names, tombs. There's different names for these types of places spread out across the UK. Um, there's, there's one on the Isle of Anglesey, um, which is where the Druids originated, which was kind of their training ground. But the, there's this one on the Isle of Anglesey dates back to around 5,000 years ago and predates the Druids. And it is named, I'm going to totally butcher this, uh, it is named Bryn, B-R-Y-N, Kelly, or, or Chelly, I'm not sure, C-E-L-L-I, and then Dew, D-D-U, so Bryn Kelly Dew, which is Welsh for the Mound of the Dark Grove. I thought that was really cool. Uh, it was excavated in the 1920s and has had ongoing tests and kind of uh, exploration since then. And then another famous one is, in, is Newgrange, which is found in Ireland. Uh, it's It's a pretty famously recognized one. Uh, it has a very large uh, passage tomb, which was built around uh, 3200 B.C., which makes it um, older than Stonehenge, and supposedly it's older than the pyramids of Egypt as well. Um, but this uh, burial mound, or, or tomb, or, or mound, it aligns with the winter solstice sunrise. So much like stone circles or, or other Tombs or mounds that are there—they're they're also uh, different ones are aligned with various solar or lunar occurrences. So the sun or the moon. Um, in this instance, in this one, the sunrise on the winter solstice aligns perfectly um, with the opening of the tomb. And what what it does is there's a long path that goes through the opening, and then like a kind of a tunnel. And the rising sun on the winter solstice will shoot a path of sunlight directly to the back of the tomb so it lines up perfectly and it only happens on this day. Um, it also has a large circular mound above ground um, and with like the, uh, an inner stone passageway. The passageway is completely surrounded in stone which is really cool. Um, when it was excavated they found uh, various uh, burnt and unburnt human bones Uh, grave goods and offerings that were found inside this mound. Uh, It has a large uh, retaining wall around it of quartz cobblestone around the outside of the mound. Um, It is is speculated, you know, kind of mythologically. It is kind of a dwelling place for various uh, deities, uh, gods and goddesses, including the the Dagda and his son uh, Angus, A-E-N-G-U-S, so if we look back at the area that Stonehenge is in, um, there's a large area of land. Uh, this It's on this large area, area of land called Salisbury Plain. Um, it's a very large area in southern central England. Uh, it's very well known for its archaeology. And during the Stone Age, people began to settle on this plain. Uh, it also has uh, not just stone circles like Stonehenge, but it also has many large and long barrows. So um, Another like burial mound, another word for that could be a barrow, B-A-R-R-O-W. Um, one is that's well known, it's called White Barrow. It's 77 meters long and 47 meters wide, but it has never been fully excavated. It also dates back pretty old, it's um, dated back to around 3500 to 4000 BC. and In this same area, in addition to many of the long barrows, there are also what's called round barrows. So instead of a long tunnel kind of shaped like a chamber, it just has an entrance that is built. uh, They will raise a mound and and frame in like an opening, but it's just a simple round chamber kind of underground. Um, And the largest concentration of these is in what's called the Cotswold Hills, C-O-T-S-W-O-L-D Hills, and Marlborough Downs. And there are more of uh, more than 150 of these barrows in this area, and each with within each of these long barrows, there's kind of three different elements that are present in most of them. So the first is like a forecourt, um, or or an entry kind of entryway with a, a little opening, which may have been used for rituals, um, gatherings, you know that kind of thing. And then there's like an entrance area, and then finally there would be a passage leading directly further into the mound where various kind of cells or branches or other pockets or rooms were found back deeper into it. And in these areas deep inside is where the remains of these ancestral humans were found. So it's kind of like the first room appears to be a main entrance, you know, like this is the, this is what the, the barrow is built for, but this is kind of a false entrance. And that first entryway or space was seen as a kind of a liminal transitional space or um, what would be called a spirit door. And this would allow the the dead or the ancestral dead to kind of come and go. And these spaces were used up to about, these, these um, barrels were used up to about 3000 BC, but they fell out of use and they were abandoned and people blocked them up. Um, but, you know, since then they've been um, they they were used some by the druids and then they've been excavated and they found more more things in there, um, but the round barrows that we talked about they were more simple. They would just have um, maybe a, a tunnel, a small tunnel, leading into just leading into just one large inner room. So there are about ten thousand surviving what they call bowl b o w l bowl barrows in the UK. And these barrows are typically grouped up in numbers of 30 or more, kind of in a, in a central location. And later on in the, in the Bronze and the Iron Age, different shapes of barrows emerged, and people were buried along with maybe um, their weapons or even chariots. Um, and in some places, uh, people were even buried with their ships that they used to sail on the seas. And as I said a moment ago, uh, many of these barrows or these burial mounds or stone circles, they were later used by the Druids. And even today, many of them, when they get discovered, they are protected and they're considered to be, uh, they're protected national historic landmarks. And they are protected from destruction. Uh, You know, they're culturally respected. They are kind of, um, you know, national landmarks that you can go visit. And of course, in the United States, there's also uh, various uh, barrows or burial mounds, but they are commonly associated with the Native Americans, of course, uh, you know, due to the short history of Europeans. We've only been here in the U.S., um, you know, a few hundred years. So, you know, when, when we're looking at dating back to five or 7,000 years ago, you know, in the U.K. or Northwestern Europe, you know, um, there are things like that here in the U.S., but they are due to the Native Americans. They are not due to Europeans that have been here. And, of course, they are still considered to be sacred spaces. They should be respected. Um, and they were used for various spiritual and religious purposes as well. So they should continue to be respected and protected. So why, are, why am I talking about all of these stone circles or barrows or, or tombs or mounds? You know, how do they relate to Druidry? But if we look at it like we look at anything else in Druidry, um, you know, these places are only important in regard to the amount of meaning that we give to them, or the amount of reverence that we give to them. We can see them simply as historic places where humans existed and utilized them for various purposes, or we can see them as sacred spaces and and protect them and work with them. For instance, when we're talking about stone circles, uh, we talked about how many of them align with uh, different solar and lunar times. You know, they, they mark the passage of time the changing of the seasons, the transition from one period of time to another. They were there to, they were built because, you know, back then they didn't have clocks, they didn't have calendars, you know, hanging on their wall that they could keep track of the dates. So they were there to help humans celebrate these kind of liminal times of the year, these transitional times in in between seasons. And and today, um, you know, many Druids still gather at these stone circles on these special dates to celebrate, or to meditate, or have a ceremony to, to to recognize the importance of these times of the year still. And and no one really claims that the druids, you know, this is their property or, they they are specifically from the druids, um, or that the druids built them or created them. Um, but but since druids are kind of the most connected spiritual practice uh, to nature, they are connected they are the spiritual practice most associated with nature worship and the wheel of the year and that kind of thing in that area. Um, That's why the druids are kind of uh, represented in these places. So the barrows or the mounds, um, going back to them, they also serve a lot of different functions. Not only were they used for burial uh, for special people in ancient times, they were also used as a place to go for celebrating solstices and equinoxes. Um, and, and, you know, due to their tunnel-like openings, they were also used for stargazing in some of these places. So people would go in into these inner kind of sanctums, and they would look out through these tunnels. And if you think about like a big, um, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank, what do you call it? The big places where they have telescopes, and they have the retractable roof. I can't think of the name of it, sorry. You know, and they, they all it does is it opens up enough to allow the telescope to look out, because that retractable roof is blocking out all of the light from cities or the other stars, and then they can spin it around and look at what they want to. So these old burial mounds or old tombs or barrows were kind of the same way. They, they would sit inside, and you could look out these tunnel openings, and you could study the sky, and it blocked out the light from the other stars, and they could keep track of where stars were in that certain direction at certain times of the year. And in these these tombs or, or barrels, they were also used for uh, meditation or insight um they could be used for ceremony um maybe with incense or herbs um you know they would have fires inside, you know, making kind of a a sweat lodge i guess you could say um you know going inside one of these spaces and starting a fire or or having some incense or burning herbs and then having these. Um, spiritual experiences and kind of facilitating like a transcendental meditative transformative state um, this would be where one could kind of traverse beyond the normal state of existence and maybe even you know venture into the other world they could, they were kind of a place of um, shamanic or shamanic shaman, shaman <laughs> journeying or doing deep meditation um, you know, a lot of people think of the term shaman and maybe they think of Native American, but there are cultures, cultures all over the world, and especially in northern Europe, that are still practicing uh, shamanism and have shamanistic practices. Um, but metaphorically, these places are kind of seen as a space of incubation. So one could go into a barrow um, and, and have a ceremony or a meditation or like an inner journey and, and spend some time in this this space and you know when they come out of this space they had the, the person had changed so going into one of these spaces for one of these ceremonies or meditation or journeying or shamanic travel this is kind of a it's a, like a gestational period so if you think of the metaphor of a, a pregnant woman you know um, if we can look at the earth that way so the, the individual can enter into you know mother earth and go deep inside and stay there um, kind of uh, seeking growth and insight and transformation you know um, regeneration rejuvenation and and coming out they would have you know new perceptions of reality and they would have a new outlook on the world so one thing we haven't really talked much about yet is wells Um, so wells are also seen as spiritual places and one of the most well-known is the chalice well uh, near Glastonbury Tor. And Glastonbury Tor, I haven't really talked about it much, um, but it is a gathering. It's another gathering place for the Druids. A lot of times they will have ceremonies up there. You can get on YouTube and, and see various uh, rituals and ceremonies taking place up there. Um, Tor is like, it's like a big mound and there's a really tall building and there's it's kind of a migratory, you know, trek up this mountain and you're kind of journeying to this sacred space. But down, down below that, there is what's called the Chalice Well, and this, this well, has it's a natural spring that was transformed into a well. And it's been used consistently for at least 2,000 years. And some people say the Druids were the ones who built the well to have access to the water continuously. Um, but also around this area, they have found many flints, like stone flints, that would be used for carving or for weapons, that kind of thing, uh, from the Paleolithic and Mesolithic areas. And... Even near the the chalice well, they've also found Iron Age pottery. So it has been in use for a long time. Um, Water comes out of this spring at a rate of 25,000 gallons a day. That's pretty amazing. Um, The water from this well is reputed to have healing properties. The water is very rich in iron oxide. Uh, It has kind of a red tint to it. Reddish hue, I guess. Um, and even the Romans uh, ventured to this well and sought, sought the water from it after they, you know, kind of took over that area. Um, but there are also um, the, the concept of wells um, in Irish and, and, and Welsh mythology are kind of seen as gateways to the spirit world. So you have the overlapping of the, um, the inner and the outer world. I guess, comes from the concept of a well cover, uh, especially, so it's, it's like a transitional liminal space. So at, at Glastonbury, or no, I'm sorry, not Glastonbury, um, at the Chalice Well, there's a, a, a cover over the well, and the cover on the well was designed after the Great War in 1919, and the design on it has two uh, concentric circles that overlap each other. And what this symbol is and what it symbolizes is called the Vesica pisis V-E-S-I-C-A. And there are various spellings of the second word, P-I-S-C-I-S or P-I-S-C-E-S. You can look this symbol up. It is commonly believed to be um, kind of exclusive to Christianity. You know, we we see the fish symbol represented in Christianity a lot. Um, But it's also been used in in various um, other religions, and, and spiritual organizations. and The reason it's used it has a lot of symbolism behind it. So it, that symbol, the two overlapping circle, the, the part in the middle looks like a fish's uh, air bladder. Um, if you have the two circles overlapping, that central space can also look like a vagina. And it also has many meanings in many different cultures as well. Um, so, you know, a fish's bladder has different symbolism. A, a vagina has different symbolism. Um, but but they all have to do about like um, uh, rebirth and well of wisdom and transformation and that kind of thing. Um, but this concept, this vesica Pisces concept, is it's it's a part of sacred geometry and it dates back actually to Mesopotamian, Mesopotamian times or even earlier. It's been used for for thousands of years. So. It is linked to Christian mythology that we talked about, as uh, it, it's mythologically known as the place where Joseph placed the chalice of the Holy Grail containing Jesus's blood. And many Christians attribute the iron-rich water of this well due to um, the the concept that Jesus's blood is still in the water. And if I'm getting that wrong, I apologize. I'm just I'm I'm kind of just. Sharing what I found uh, when researching for this episode, but there are also numerous other wells around the UK that are very significant. So, um, you know, why uh, why the association with wells? What's important about wells? So, um, you know, we've talked about the connection to the other world, and this is based on the fact that we are on the surface of the Earth. You know, and mythologically, uh, you know, there exists this place called the other world or the underworld. And this is a place that we cannot see or touch but we feel that it is there and along you know we have the other world we have underworld but these two are both a little bit different um, depending on your beliefs or practices so the other world may be like um, underground um, you know specifically or um, a place for you know negative negatively influenced mythological beings or the other world could just be where our ancestors are, or the fae, or that kind of thing. But the important here, the important part here, is the idea that um, the well is like a connection between two very distinct areas. So you have the surface, where we are, and then you have the shaft of the well that dives deep into the earth, and and then you have the the deep inner part of the earth. And it's kind of a conduit between these two places. And wells are also known as sources of knowledge and inspiration so you can go to a well and then you can also have a spiritual experience or a spiritual connection to all of these different elements of earth and water and how they are represented and there are also believed to be water and well spirits associated with wells um, which we can commune with or make offerings to so if you think about um, a wishing well for example i'm sure you've heard of the term wishing well um, or even a fountain in a public mall or something like that. So, people, why do people throw coins into these wishing wells or other bodies of water or these fountains or whatever? So this habit, and then this 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 thing that we all just do naturally, uh, is based on the concept of making offerings to deities or spirits associated with waters and wells. You know, we don't think of it this way, but this is where it comes from. Um, so we have these spirits of these wells, and we go make offerings to them, and we give them coin and ask for something, you know, safety or you know continued life uh, through water or whatever it is. But you make you make a wish, and then you you make an offering, hoping that it comes true and they can help you. So we can also look at wells in the concept of um, the cauldron or the holy grail, um, or a grail. I guess you could say holy grail or a grail, but the, the cauldron or the grail are both uh, a vessel. Um, it contains something, it holds something very special. So a cauldron or a grail is like a bowl or a cup shape. Um, and, and the Holy Grail, you know, is said to contain the secret of life or the source of life. And if we think about it, nothing survives without water. So water is the kind of source to life. Water is the secret to life. And in ancient times, A well or a spring was considered very sacred because it was the source of all life flowing forth from the Mother Earth. So you have this a spring or a well is this place where this life-giving substance comes forth from Mother Earth and so it needs to be cared for and respected and honored and if we take it for granted or we don't manage it or take care of it by you know making offerings and ensuring that it has uh, the ability to keep flowing we could die. So in today's world, um, you know we may not be able, a lot of us don't have access to stone circles or barrows or wells. So how do we connect with these type of of um, earth entities or these these special places to have a spiritual experience experience? And we can do many things to do this. Um, many people will make their own stone circles if they have the property to do so. You know, find some large stones and and you know figure out which direction you know the sun rises or sets or however you want to orient it and you know, dig some holes and plant your vertical stones and you have your very own stone circle. But you can also do this um, in a small pot. If you live somewhere where you don't have land, you could get a pot and and orient it to the sunrise or the sunset on a solstice or an equinox, however you want to do it, and you can put put stones into the soil and you can always look at it and keep track of it. You can align it however you want and just leave it there and pick a spot in your home near a window and, and you can have your own little stone circle, and it's in your own place to have kind of a spiritual experience. You know, you can observe the angle of the sun throughout the year as it comes through your own little stone circle. And and if we think about it, you know, without that the modern-day calendar that we talked about earlier, this is how people could tell where they were in the year. You know, they could feel the weather change or whatever. But this was a space and a place to plan ahead for... It, as the sun is coming across and they see, oh, we're getting close to the middle, we know that we're getting close to that time of year. So they could plan ahead for gatherings or spiritual ceremonies or planting or harvesting. And they could tell when the days were going to start getting shorter or longer. So by doing this in your home, you, it's kind of your own little spiritual calendar, uh, you know, connecting you back with your ancestors. And some people are lucky enough to have caves nearby where they live. Um, so it may not be necessarily a burial mound or a tomb or a barrow, um, but caves can serve the same function. So if you get on the map, a map app, like Google Maps or whatever, and you just search for caves, you can maybe find some, um, there are also many cave museums or cave tourist attractions and parks, um, that are commercially kind of developed and they're very safe for you to explore, um. I mean, it would make it difficult to have a spiritual, you know, quiet spiritual experience. But if you've never been in a cave, this is a, a really awesome way to get inside the earth. It, and if you've never been in a cave or done a cave tour, I really recommend it. It's such a cool experience if you've never had it before. And you can also get on the internet and look up uh, caving. So people do caving as a hobby, or it's called spelunking. Um, but there are many searching your area for for spelunking or caving organizations uh, many, many of these people are really extremely friendly and happy to get other people involved. Or you can have them just guide you. Or simply, you know, you can on your own just look up locations or descriptions of these caves and find one that you may be interested in exploring. But just be really safe and, and you know, don't get in there and get hurt. Um, make sure you have, you know, plenty of backup flashlights, all the, all the safety stuff. You can get online and find out how to do all that. But if you can't find caves, you know, what about a hollowed out, Uh, old tree. So around here we have a lot of dead trees that are standing and kind of the inside part of the tree is rotted out. I don't know if you've ever done this. Have you ever sat gotten inside an old large tree and just sat inside? It's a it's really an interesting concept and a really amazing feeling to be able to do that. So even if you don't have that maybe you go somewhere where there's um, large rocks in the mountains and just a, a cliff overhang going and just sitting under a large rock overhang can be a very kind of spiritual and special place. So any, any concept of like an opening with something connected to the earth that will allow you to go inside, so to go inside physically and spiritually, that will, that will help you do that. And, you know, regarding wells, maybe you can find a natural spring near you. You can go to these places and sit and you can listen to the water kind of percolating out of the ground. Um, if you've never seen a spring in person coming out of the ground, it's a really magical experience. Again, it's 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 really interesting to see water kind of pouring forth out of the earth. Um, it's like, I mean, you can look at it again scientifically, like there's a water table, you know, there's a path to the ground and the water is coming out, but you can also look at it kind of spiritually or metaphorically, like this is Mother Earth providing providing the, the source of all life, and, and it's right here for me to take, you know. Get you a water filter. If you want to drink from it, take a water filter with you and you can, you can do that. And many hikers and backpackers do that. They have portable um, water filtration systems that connect to water bottles. And these springs are the source of their water along their, you know, their multi-day, multi-month hikes. And they, it's, it's just a, a really cool thing to see if you've never done it. If you don't have any springs near you, you can even just go find a stream um, or, or even a river or a waterfall. You know, you can go to these places and connect to the water spirits or the water energies of these places. So many people also, what they can do, and you've probably seen them, is to have like a small tabletop or a small freestanding that sits on the ground like water feature that continuously runs water. So um, people do it for the sound, you know, that to have that trickling sound of water in the home or on their deck or on their patio or whatever because it's a very peaceful calming sound it's very soothing but you can if you don't want to buy you know an expensive kit you can build your own you know you can just take a large bucket or a large decorative pot or something like that Um, you can take some stones of different sizes and just get a small water pump place it in the bottom and run a tube up to the top of the stone and let the let the water trickle down the stone you can you can organize the stones however you want to make your own sounds um you know decorate it how you want you can place greenery inside of it or rocks or you know maybe little little gnomes or dwarfs or something or or fairy figurines or something like that to kind of symbolize the earth and the water spirits to kind of remind you of your practice or maybe a place a statue of your chosen deity or god or goddess um of the water or the well or the earth or whatever to to connect with so as we've said before in druidry there are so many different layers to these concepts of stone circles and mounds and tombs and barrows and wells they all have their own kind of symbolic meanings as well as their own functional purposes Um, but again in druidry many things serve many multiple different purposes Um, You know, we can track time with the stone circles, um, much like a sundial, but we also spiritually connect with the Wheel of the Year in these places. We can use barrows and tombs to store food. You know, people used to dig holes under the ground because it stayed a certain temperature year-round, and they would bury their food there to keep it safe. Or they would bury sacred things so other people would not find them. Um, But you can also go into the earth and go into yourself in these spaces and meditate, and you can emerge as a changed human being. And springs, wells, you know, water sources provide us with life-giving water, but they are also very symbolic of kind of the knowledge and the wisdom and the life-giving energy of the universe. It is always flowing and present, um, both physically and spiritually, but we have to be open to it. We have to work for it and practice it. We have to accept it, and we have to utilize it appropriately. So I hope this has been helpful. I hope you have found it enjoyable. Um, This is a really cool subject, and of course, there's so much information you can get out there. I would encourage you to get out there and look for it, and thank you again for listening. Thank you so much for joining in at the Druid's Grove. I thoroughly enjoyed sharing this time and information with you. I hope you learned something and are inspired to build a connection to the earth and the world around you. If you liked what was shared, please feel free to give back at Buy Me a Coffee. Join me on Substack, where I have transcripts, or listen on YouTube, and find the group on social media. For more information, check the show notes. I'll see you in the Grove. Until next time.